0: Hey, everybody. This is Colin. Uh, Long time no talk. I First off, very sorry for the hiatus that we've been on for the past couple months. Uh, It's been the busiest time of my entire life. Um, It's been crazy, and now that things have settled down, ready to dive back in. uh, I mean, heck, in this amount of time, we just found out that there's going to be a new Avatar live series. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, So we've got a lot of great stuff that we want to talk about. We've got some episodes that we recorded earlier this year that we're first going to debut. And then uh, once we kind of get through those, we're going to be getting into some of our thoughts and discussion on this upcoming live series. We're so excited to talk about it and just so excited for this awesome path that the avatar fandom is going to be on um but for the meantime uh, this first episode back is going to be about episode three and four of the legend of korra with the dutch chicken watches legend of korra and one last disclaimer before this episode starts um susan had some issues with her microphone i did my best to try to edit it through but some of the audio does not come through as great i'm sorry that uh it's not coming through as strong but uh, appreciate your patience with that and uh thanks so much for listening Welcome to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to discussion of Avatar The Last Airbender, and especially today, The Legend of Korra. Um, So my name's Colin, I'm the main host, and I am joined by uh, some co-hosts today. Uh, First off, because this is continuing our The Dutch Chicken Watches Legend of Korra, we of course have The Dutch Chicken. Mr. Kyle, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing quite alright. Did you know that water management is a very important thing for the Dutch people?
0: <laughs> so we, <laughs> I have to
1: do that, guys.
2: I'm
0: sorry. Well, we we had a we had a very in depth discussion because um, two of our other co hosts live in the Maryland Delaware area, and we were talking about the flooding and everything here. And uh, Kip uh, showed us that Dutch prowess of water management. Um, but speaking of our other hosts, we have uh, first we have Susan.
3: I'm still alive, I promise. <laughs> Despite the fact that all of Delaware is apparently
4: under sea level.
0: <laughs> and uh, next we have Kristen.
4: Yep, and I survived in Baltimore. Thankfully, we did not get it as bad in the city as Ellicott City.
0: <laughs> Clearly, we need waterbenders for all of these issues.
4: That would be amazing.
0: <laughs> and last but not least, we have Abigail.
2: Hello.
0: Okay, um, so we're getting into the next two episodes um, for The Legend of Korra. Uh, The first one that we're going to be talking about is episode three, The Revelation. Um, Now, I want to hear initially from you, Kyle, initial reactions, what you thought about kind of uh, this episode as a whole. We'll get around to everybody else, and then we'll kind of dive deeper into uh, specific subjects as we gravitate towards them.
1: So, just like in episode one and two, where they wasted no time in getting the thing going, they wasted absolutely no time to introduce the bad guys and getting that whole story arc set up. I, I, I thought that was amazing. In, in one episode, they managed to get the whole plot for the rest of the
0: series out there but at least I assume so anyways. That was amazing, simply put. Very cool. Um, And what about uh, for the rest of you guys? Um, Susan, what was it like for you revisiting this episode?
3: It has been a very long while since I watched Korra, and I had to remind myself what it was like to watch it, especially since we we go um, back to Avatar, and then we come back here. And I have to agree that I feel like it did what it needed to do in the third episode, which is just go straight into the story arc. But I think, in keeping with the old-spirited episodes, I mean, I feel like Korra has also been always the more matured episode. And I mean, not just because the character is older, obviously, but even the way the storyline is presented is much more mature. We don't have nearly as many filler episodes as we always got. Again, the great divide.
0: <laughs> yeah and that, I mean that's a good point that followed up on uh, when we discussed the first two episodes, how you know kept you were saying that you know, there's no filler, it just gets right to it. Um, and that I think is definitely a really strong part about this episode. Uh, Kristen, what about you?
4: um well like kip said it definitely kind of like jumps into things you know we get our first big introduction of the main antagonist of the season and then we also start diving into the other introduced characters because of course you know we've only really gotten to know like cora and tenzin and their and his family so far but now we're getting a little bit more into uh mako and bolin too in this uh episode too so it um it does a little bit of digging around with some of the characters in the plot. So I thought it was a a really good way to kind of kick off both the (laughs) antagonistic part of the plot, but also kind of help flesh out some of our characters a little bit better too.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
4: I mean, for for me in, in, in
1: the last Airbender, you know, when, when you first saw Zuko, it didn't become clear what Zuko's mission was until, you know, a couple of, a couple of episodes, and you know, it, it took some time to really build up what was going on with him. With Amon, however, it, it took him I think, 10 minutes with that speech that they, they ended up having. That speech, the revelation um, was it episode three or was it episode four? That was episode three, yeah, yeah. episode three. Okay, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in 10 minutes, they just lay out the entire storyline. You know, they, they go on about how his parents got killed by a bender. And how he hates bound It's like just in, in ten minutes, boom. His his entire character is out there. There's not some some guy like oh, is is he the bad guy? Oh, oh, you know, this this could be incidental. So no, no,
0: they just boom, there he is. Hmm. What about you, uh, Abigail? Revisiting it. Uh
5: uh-huh. I kind of forgot how like terrifying Amon was. Hmm. And like the power to take away bending is it's pretty scary, but I, I love it. I love just, we get Asami finally mm, mm-hmm. in these episodes and um, the characters um, start to become more fleshed out. It's just an exciting, it's an exciting episode because every, the stakes are just getting higher.
0: Mhm, and, and it's interesting that you, uh, Kip, that you brought up how like you couldn't remember which episode this was in. And it, it's something about this season And I think Korra as a whole is that the way it's structured in such a more cinematic way, a lot of the episodes kind of blend together Mm -hmm. because it is this kind of continuous story. It doesn't feel it doesn't have kind of those individual romp esque episodes that we see in The Last Airbender where we can say, oh, the fortune teller. Okay, we know that what that episode is. You know, we there's it's so clearly you know things happen in there. It does move the plot along, but for the most part, it's Aang, Katara, and Sokka. They go to a village, volcano erupts, they problem solve. You know, and there's also some other stuff. Proper land
3: management. It's, it's,
0: like right in, there. <laughs> it's like in the last under
1: Every episode has its, it's like mini plot and mini storyline with uh, characters run into a problem characters solve the problem and then in the meantime they also advance the main plot whereas here you don't really have those mini plots per episode it's just one continuous story it's like if you put all the episodes right next to each other you take away the intros
0: and the outros it's like one continuous story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely um it, you know and i what i love about this episode as well is that um, and I think as with aman as the as this antagonist now coming to the to the to the forefront we're seeing something as we discussed in the last episode that's a little bit more complicated in terms of who he is as a villain and what side things are going on obviously you know we see a situation here is aman we see him at this rally and they pull up a leader of one of the gangs who we saw directly in the first episode, the effects of kind of this gang warfare in the city. You have the people on this street being, you know, bullied and oppressed and taxed unfairly. And we see where that oppression comes from. And Amon gives him a chance to fight for his bending. But he still loses and still takes it away. And suddenly it's like, okay, we were rooting against the the triads. We do, uh, you know, from like a moral standpoint, they're taking oh, from innocence, man. like how, how is this going? But now it's like, oh, but he's taking bending away.
1: I, I, I was, I, 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 I had no idea what to think. I mean, obviously the triad is the bad guys in a sense on the bad guy side. But I felt bad for him. Like, suddenly, boom, you have no more bending. It's like, okay, he is a fuck, but, you know, what has he actually done to deserve something that bad? It's like, wow, I feel bad for a bad guy.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah.
4: Well, and it's interesting, too, because, I, you know, there's a, you kind of have to, like, look at it, like, the issue that Amon has with Benders is when Benders abuse power. He never focuses on the positivity of Benders, like building Republic City mm. itself. Mm. Irony, as the one dude's always like, take the city back from the Benders. Um, and, but Amon's doing the exact same thing. He's abusing of power he has. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to discuss what his power is, but, you know— he is abusing something he has. And it's 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 kind of one of those interesting philosophical questions. How do you make people equal? Do you take away until everybody's equal or do you give until everybody's equal? Mm. And the equalist movement definitely seems to be we're going to take away until everybody's equal or at the very least, um, they are trying to replace bending too. Like chi blockers using the uh, science of human anatomy or the technology of like the lightning rods. Like they're trying to supplant the bending, but also they, they're taking away from people people and it's 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 a really this is what I really enjoyed about the opening of Korra is because while Avatar itself definitely does have uh, very poignant moments and very strong philosophical roots at some points Korra it just kind of hits that running like as soon as the series starts and i do guess it's because we already had a background from avatar the last airbender but in avatar the last airbender you know you have those many little like romp episodes and stuff and sometimes it takes a while to get into the, like the the meat of of the plot sometimes to where Cora just hits the ground running with the plot
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely and I, I think that's really i mean we have to keep into consideration that When Mike and Brian were given uh, this season, they were only given this first season. Even though we know it goes on to uh, up to four seasons for Legend of Korra, at this time, we as the fans and Mike and Brian as creators thought that they were given a run of 12 episodes, 12, 13 episodes, and that was all they were going to do. So it's a fact of like, okay, we're given this amount of time. We have to make the best out of this time
1: as we that, can that, so as somebody that hasn't seen the legend of Cordo that because uh, uh, this isn't the first time that you mentioned this this is uh, you also mentioned it when we discussed episode one and two. it actually somewhat makes me a little hesitant, so it makes me somewhat nervous because obviously they they have to introduce things very fast and it works right it, it, it really awesome works, but it also kind of makes me wonder okay what happens after uh, on the episodes after they get signed on for more seasons like, does the same pace continue does the, 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 the epicness of that continue does, do things start slowing down And are they able to do it just as well as they're doing it now
0: i def- I definitely think it's it's something to to keep in i and the reason that I wanted to you know bring it up to you and why I always love bringing it up to folks who are watching it for the first time is I think it's really important to consider it and to remember that because I think that as you'll see where things go and how they resolve things towards the end of this season, um you know there's kind of some feelings of like okay. Well, I can see how that stands alone, but you know, you wanted to kind of go from there. But I, I don't want to get too lost in that discussion. I, I really want mm-hmm. to uh, focus on this episode here. Now, I... I oh, yeah, go ahead. Take just
3: a moment here and ask Kip because I'm curious, Kip. When we when you first saw the episode, you saw on take powers. Did you at all? What was your like first threat, thought? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, were you? What did you think he was doing to do that specific? Because I remember the first time we had this conversation, Colin, mm-hmm. when it aired, we had so many theories. <laughs> but I,
2: I, 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 I don't three
1: know. Three right, three. right now, I'm very much just awe stricken by the fact that Arman just sat there and took away bending. So, so first of all, the chi the, the blockers came in, right? As like, Tylee all over again. Mm. It's the same the, the same feeling when we first saw Tylee in action and she blocked Katara's banning. It's that whole same feeling. Oh my god, Tylee's back. <laughs> like, oh, okay, okay, Tylee's back. You know, we, we learned we learned to deal with Tylee. You know, we, we, we got passed out and we realized you know, Tylee has her own weaknesses. We can we can deal with that.
3: See my first and, thought was And then Tylee we saw and then, there should be an old lady in
0: this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but now we have multiple Tylies, and I think that yeah, that's that's I- the the big issue with this, and what makes it so intimidating is that before it was like, okay, we have Tylie, we have May, and we have Azula. Like, yes, they're they are terrifying. And then you know sometimes we only see May and Tylie, and okay given the right circumstances, if the gang didn't have like the, they didn't get jumped. Like Toph deals with Tylee in a matter of like seconds when like they go back to take the throne room. (laughs) It's just like, she just covers like as she's doing like a backward cartwheel, like Toph just like envelops her hands and feet in earth. And it's like, okay. (laughs) But now it's like, you're dealing with a whole team and groups of chi blockers With and
5: lightning sticks yeah
0: and now it's like okay now what do we do and i think this is also introducing i think one of the strongest and most interesting parts about um, how they change things in korra and that's how this team and these characters they are not the original gang they are not ang katara Toph, and sokka who are incredibly talented more so than probably anyone their age and more so i think than what you would see typically in this universe and korra and mako and bolin they get the crap beat out of them because this is a different world now and you have to think of how long these equalists have been training how long they've been oppressed and how long all of this has been going on and now they're ready for benders but Korra and the rest of these guys are not ready for them.
2: You, you, can,
1: you can really clearly already see the difference between Aang and Korra, right? Aang got thrown right in the midst of it. He had no time to mess around, even though he did mess around to some degree. He had no time for that stuff. I'm, I'm going to leave out some, some other words. Um, uh, Korra sees, what, 16, 17, so she's already a lot older, and you, know, you can clearly see... She never had to deal with anything difficult. She just had, she she really clearly had a very sheltered life, just trading, you know, doing her stuff, just taking time. And now suddenly she gets thrown into a public city, a, a a setting which she's completely not used to. She's like the farm girl, going to a city. So she's completely out of her element. And then suddenly she's fighting these guys that have been training for this exact moment they, they've been training for meeting the avatar for
0: who knows how long
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we even hear cora say in this episode like i never i've never had to I, i've never had money i've never had to do like i've just had people do everything for me she has had her life you know comfortably placed for her down in the south pole and we talked about that last time you know, obviously, Aang, wants to be able to provide and like, you know, leave that legacy to help the Avatar, you know, really, you know, succeed and learn as much as possible. But then we also see the downside to that, where you the Avatar mm-hmm. isn't like having to fight for anything. And having to work for, any, well, I, I don't think that's fair. Not working for anything. But still, like you said, not facing those challenges.
5: Well, and she was also Here thrown right into... Go get summer job. It's <laughs> a work experience.
0: <laughs> go work by the pool, you know, just you know, really yeah. find the value of work, and you'll be good.
5: Well, she's also thrown into Republic City, which for, like, <laughs> is, like, you know, if she had just gone anywhere else, because, like... Roku kind of had that Mm -hmm. same thing. He had kind of a sheltered life within the Fire Nation and then he traveled and trained. But like, he didn't have to go to Republic City and be the Avatar, which is like, it's like a powder keg there Mm -hmm. of tension and politics and so much more than she's prepared for.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And how easily she's manipulated as kind of a piece on the chessboard. Um, which is what I want to get into next is Tarlok. Uh Before we even started recording this episode, <laughs> one of the first things that Kip said was had some very strong opinions about Tarlok. So I I, I want to hear what some of your thoughts were here.
1: <laughs> okay, so he comes. Uh, so the first scene that we meet Tarlok, and he basically right at the right at the start right on the bat, he gets off with, with Tenzin, you know. Right from the start, him and are, Tenzin are having added. And I, I think the first thing that actually crossed my mind is, is he Amon? Is, is this Amon out of disguise? Because you, you could see the bender sitting there and I, I couldn't place him because of his, his, his weird bluish color. But I, I didn't pack him as a water Bender because he didn't have that same color. So it's like is is he like a non-bender representative of the council? Is he Amon?
2: Mm, okay.
0: That right.
3: was, I believe, some of our theories in this episode. Mm-hmm. I think Paul uh, had that idea about Tarloch and how yeah, see, uh, is most
2: likely
1: Amon. Mm. I, I don't know, and and the, the way the way he he infades on the family dinner, you know, that is. It seems like a very tropey way of of a, a crook walking in on the good guys, you know, just like here I am, just Dude, having my a house chat,
4: just thrown out.
1: <laughs> but you know, that, that's something that I can see a bad guy doing just just walking up to the good guy when the good guy is in his safe spot, and suddenly the bad guys are like, "Hello, let me just pass him some threats to you, and then just make my exit all peacefully, like you know, nothing happened." It, it seems like such a bad guy thing to do. Uh I don't know. I I don't trust him. I don't like him. I'm going to keep I'm going to be Is keeping this where my we're eyes if on we're
3: him. we do. We start screaming out red herring, <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> Not fire ferret, red herring.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's it's interesting how um, like right from the gate, um you know, we see we kind of also see Tarlock a little bit. For what he is because we have the perception of tenzin uh looking in on things and we're privy to that scene in the council chamber where tenzin just flat out calls him out and was like look this is you just trying to grab more power and he is able to convince the council and he is able to convince cora to lead this whole team and it's It really is, you know, suddenly he becomes this player in this world because he has the political power to kind of do what he wants. And I think that that is a really interesting character for the Avatar universe and I think is something that is really a product of Republic City. Um, because we we do see, I think, the closest that we can kind of see... Uh, in terms of like comparisons, is Long Fang um, in the way that he manipulated the Dai Li and was able to kind of run his whole operation and everything? Because we were like, okay, there's there's more to this Long Fang guy. He can't just be cultural minister and all of that. You kind of see that, but um, it. I think you'll be very very interested to see kind of where Tarlok's uh, story goes. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: To follow up a little bit, because we did bring in Long Fang, I think, you know, our biggest our biggest concern when watching this episode is, oh, it's just another Long Fang storyline. And I, I agree with Colin. I think once the Dutch chicken gets a little further here, um, I really do think we're going to be very pleasantly surprised on where we go with these episodes.
0: Yeah. Um, so th- that brings me... Uh, n- something I want to dive into for this episode is the characters. Um, and I think we mentioned earlier how this really is a great episode for character development. Um, you know, we get to hear a little bit more about, uh, Mako and Bolin's backstory. And I mean, you talk about like, again, accelerating things. We didn't get deep backstory for any of the characters in the last airbender until well into the series. Um, right. and now we're having Mako, Tell Cora about his parents getting mugged, and basically it's like a Batman scenario. He got Batman. He got Batman. Hard. Yeah, but he has Bolin mm-hmm. and you know that's that's what's really interesting is now we you know we see these brothers already like interesting characters, and now it's like wow, and then we find out that they did some dealings with like some gang members, but you know Mako kind of gets very defensive and it's like look, you don't know we. I had to basically do what I had to to survive and protect my little brother. So I, I want to hear um, from you, Kip, what it was like for you to see that kind of accelerated character background uh, that was shown through them in this episode.
1: Well, that's basically what I mentioned earlier uh, at, at the start of the episode. You know, they, they wasted no time getting into Amon's background. Um, it, it works. The The... the the accelerated character development. I, I think it works because in the end, it, it's like get it over with right now, and in in the end, it's going to leave more time for cool stories as well. Um, yeah, it's it's I I,
0: I don't really know what to say right now. It, it just works, I suppose. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts from the rest of you guys uh, in terms of revisiting uh, them in these early stages and how that? Backstory was kind of really thrown at us pretty quickly.
3: I think I'm I, I, going back and watching this now and viewing it from a completely different lens now versus then when I was still expecting a child and now I have a child and I'm expecting a second child. Um, I think I actually started crying a little. Because <laughs> it's, it's really sad to think about the idea that essentially, you know, he... Takes up the reins in raising Cole mm. And I think, from another perspective, you know, you really get a sense of the life the brothers had versus Asami as well. And she kind of questions it a bit. Mm. So, and then you see, it's like, this is another big thing about this episode that really is weird to me. It's like all of a sudden, i guess or trying to date her and you just know it's gonna end disastrously right off the bat mm. but not because you just wanted mako to work out and then whew, yeah we're not even gonna touch that
5: i forgot how much of a fangirl asami was of mako's at the beginning because <laughs> i always remember asami's being like so cool and calm and then she's totally fangirling over Mako and the fire ferrets. And I found that very endearing that, you know, she's not snooty at all or she's very down to earth and she's very, actually stars in her eyes over Mako and probe ending, which is kind of cool.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: It's a little bit better than the fangirls who saw Zuko take off his shirt at the beach. <laughs> 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 I
3: don't
4: know. I think it's about me. Really- I have a
3: list there with the exception of Asami's dad is sponsoring Maka. It's like No, Dad, I know you're the manager and all but, oh, let me just date that. I, mean, I can't end poorly for anybody at all. <laughs> right.
0: Well it, it brings it it brings in an interesting point with introducing uh, Hiroshi Sato as this figure. Mm -hmm. And we talked about Republic city as a character and how now it really is. Here we are a prime example of uh, capitalism in this world. And here you have someone who is basically saying like, I also started off with barely anything and all I had was an idea and then I took that idea and now I own this whole industry and everything and how with a realm of technological innovation and prosperity and everything, you have these uh, the opportunity for kind of kings of industry, like we saw in uh, the Industrial Revolution in the late 19th century going into the 20th century and what happened with everything there. and. Yeah, it's like you, you get these vibes, like of just like wow, it's like he's really going out on a limb here for Mako, and it also like I don't know, it's like you're also seeing like him and Asami already kind of close together, and you're like, what's mm-hmm. it's like this This is a pretty pretty chill dad, like all considering, but I, I don't know what what he were loves some his
4: daughter, yeah, absolutely. Let's cool. make her happy. Uh, there, uh, so there's some really interesting things about. Sato and and how they're introduced that's kind of interesting um so you don't really get a whole lot I mean Sato's obviously very well to do you kind of notice you know when they're introduced Asami only seems to have her dad and I I noted one of the um remarks that she made very quickly albeit they're Mako and Asami's relationship progressed, uh, a little quickly, um, when she says, I feel so safe with you. And it's one of those things where like, it's like, wh- where, where, am I missing the piece where you feel the need to be safe? Mm. And so you know he does talk he does he does go oh yeah like i'm a self-made man and all that stuff but you know one of my first thoughts when i remember watching the episode was at what cost like why does your daughter not feel safe is it have something to do with your wife does it have something to do with how you made your money is it the fact that you are successful like cuz she obviously has her own garden stuff for the most part i mean you think that she would feel safe regardless so yeah. it's it's one of those things where it's like kind of like Kip like I almost wondered like she came into the picture too quickly is she faking him out and she's actually like somebody trying to get into like t- the new team avatars like group or is there something else going in in Asami's own personal storyline that was just kind of you know we're getting hints of it but we haven't actually seen the fully fleshed out story and you know. Hashtag spoiler. Uh, It does flesh out. And even still, like, it's a little weird because I don't feel like I ever really got an answer as to why she felt the need to make that comment. But I remember that for some odd reason, that one line really stuck with me because I felt like it made her suspicious. And then I don't remember anything following up that really hinted as to why she felt unsafe. Because obviously she can handle herself.
0: Maybe yeah. be emotionally safe? Yeah, I mean... That, it so, that,
1: it,
4: it that, could that, be.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's actually funny because uh, uh, my wife was watching uh, episode 3 and 4 with me, and she actually made a uh, comment about her saying that she, in the end, will probably be the one backstabbing uh, the gang. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 Only... I hadn't even considered that. Because, you know, suddenly she's there, and, and suddenly... Maiko and her, a uh, uh, boyfriend and girlfriend, it's like, wow, with how fast things progressed there, that actually would make sense. Well, Kip, I can
0: tell you for sure, and Susan, you remember too, we all, like, when we were doing Korra casts, like, the, when we were discussing Korra, we all, like, were like, there, there's something going on with Asami. We're like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like, we, we definitely were super, super skeptical with that entrance as well. Because, yeah. We think- were
3: incredibly skeptical with her entrance.
4: And if <laughs> I, I remember I mean, correctly. She's so fishy. That,
3: that, I think that was actually the term for reason. Like, she seems like
4: a snake. Um, <laughs> in
3: that exact tone, I think. Uh, but I do remember that... You know, we were like, "Oh, is this song like a secret equalist trying to like be in disguise and get close to the firefighters?" Because that would seem like a totally crazy, I mean, I'm, just I'm... vigilante thing to do. But um, you know, I think this this is really going to be interesting later because we know that they originally had 13 episodes and the way they set up Asami's character. I always wonder if they had not had the other three seasons, what, because I think they found that halfway through that they were going to get another season randomly. And I always wondered if they would have done something differently with Asami's character at that point. And then the other thing is given what we know Asami by the end, um, at this episode juncture, it's... It's interesting to see how much her character grows over time, too. And I think we hit nail on the head earlier with how she stars the eyes of Ramako, but later, with her later things, spoiler, um, it definitely shows that this was an infatuation and looking for something outside of herself versus uh, how a was later i hmm.
0: okay well I, we, we are we are like we are skirting on some like you know there's there's lots of spoiler territory that we you know uh, and, and I think it just comes with the territory of earlier episodes I think because you know again it's that idea of we see characters um, very early on and knowing where things mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. and it's kind of like holding back with that um, but the the last thing I want to get to for this uh, episode um, for the revelation is that scene in the warehouse of Amon taking away the bending and talking about this as a whole, not just with him taking away the bending and the mystery there, but also the idea that when Mako and Korra walk into this warehouse, it's filled with what looks like over a thousand easily, maybe even a couple thousand people. And this isn't just some like, okay, like we saw in the first episode, like a guy just holding a little protest on like, you know, in the park and you have a handful of people coming by. This is a representation that a lot of people are really upset about the status quo and Mm -hmm. how easily they are just on board with what, Aman is kind of selling uh, so first yeah Kip what, what some of your reactions to that whole scene and then uh, we'll kind of get okay, further so, into that uh,
1: uh, but before that actual scene they, they had a little puzzle with trying to figure out where, where it was mm-hmm. um, I, I, I actually I actually had some some issues with that scene because at the one hand we, we have two characters they're the heroes you know so generally they're supposed to be above average smart and above average good at, at figuring things out because of well, plot lines and they're heroes and so we we actually see them having some issues trying to to figure out where that meeting is because suddenly they're at that that's uh, that, that that they're sitting on that bench that they're figuring out where to go you know so between them and the park they've probably been discussing stuff so so Reasonably, you can somewhat expect that it's it's very secretive where that meeting is. And then you have the warehouse and suddenly everybody is there. It's like half of the city came out and it's like half of the city figured out the puzzle.
4: To be fair, um, it wasn't a tough puzzle. Yeah. Hashtag kick <laughs> <came> the <to> waste.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, but that, that's the thing, though. How, they, they, yeah, it wasn't that tough a puzzle, but they, they were trying to play it off as a somewhat tough. I would suppose at, at least that's how it came across from me. That it was oh, it's pretty difficult. We cannot figure it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I that that was a bit. Uh, I, I found that a bit awkward, but so, so, yeah, you you see a warehouse full of people. that's like wow, this this actually is a really big issue. This isn't. A bunch of protesters in a park this isn't a bunch of this isn't Amon and a bunch of henchmen no this is Amon and half the it's city okay.
2: mm-hmm.
1: this, this, this is Ammon and half the city having issues with benning and not just his henchmen it, it, it really the, it, it really shows that this is a, a really big underlying problem this isn't something that that has happened in recent months this is something that has been happened this is a feeling people must have been having for, for years now,
0: like, like 10, 20 years by the looks of it. Well, I mean, you think about what Oman even says in his speech that since the beginning of time, benders have had an edge on those who can't. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's very much this moment of like him echoing a lot of what we talked about in the first episode You think about, again, it took Sokka who trusted Katara and Aang implicitly until the third season of The Last Airbender for him to admit that I don't feel like I am as worthy as you guys or I don't feel like I'm as good as you guys. Like you can do these incredible bending things and he uses his sarcasm and humor... As kind of a wall almost, I feel like, for a lot of his emotions. And we see such a real moment from Sokka in that episode of Sokka's Master. We It just, he is feeling inadequate. And that was someone who trusted those around him implicitly. Mm-hmm. Now if you think about it, someone living in Bossing, say, or someone living in the Water Tribes, If you're being bullied or you're just surrounded by these people who can do these incredible things and you just can't and what that means for your role in society, what that means for your role in day-to-day life and how you can kind of feel like a second-class citizen and how that's all been building.
1: You know, they they actually had a scene in episode three where they actually very much portrayed – just how important vendors are for this world when Mako was working at the power plant mm-hmm. generating electricity. Now that I'm thinking of it, it's was like, wow, again, that's something where Benders really shine. It's because of Benders that they have electricity right now. Like, again, yeah, you know, it, it puts non vendors really uh, second class citizens because hey Because of you guys, it's not like we have electricity because of you guys. It's because of the vendors.
5: I think the issue is that this issue of equality between vendors and non-vendors was never tried to solve peacefully. Mm. They never tried to solve that peacefully. It was immediately radicalized. He immediately took that frustration and radicalized it instead of, trying a peaceful path towards that, because certainly there are issues, you know, with that, and they could be addressed. But, you know, to take that frustration and kind of, like, weaponize it. Mm -hmm. um, Actually,
1: he brings up a good point against that, though, against why he had to radicalize it so fast, I think. Um, In his speech, he mentions that, you know, all of the wars so far are all the cause of Benders. So, in, in a sense you can somewhat understand why he radicalized into going on basically a full-out war with them straight away. It's because, you know, in the past, all of the wars have been because
0: of Banders. And that's kind of what they understand most? Is that kind of what what you're saying with that?
1: No, no. um, What I'm saying is, you know, he only sees that the Banders basically, yeah, they, they understand war because, you know, not Banders have... Only resolved things to wells as well in the past. We, we, we haven't seen any examples of vendors solving things uh, uh, well, to diplomacy and, and, and so to talking.
3: Let's talk about this from, you know, one of the other aspects that I think we kind of forget is that this was 2012. Mm-hmm. The last series ends in 2008. So there's a four year span almost before we get this series. So, the other episode, ends. those kids are, what, maybe 13?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: This series starts, anyone who's actually held on, outside of, you know, the old weirdos that we are, um, they're 17, 18 years old, they're going into a world that has in the U.S., and internationally, in some cases, just been completely turned on its head. And, you know, I think what we forget is that a lot of these kids watch their parents lose their homes, lose their jobs,
2: mm-hmm.
3: have faced more bullying. I mean, we see a lot of these things increase in the same time frame. And what we then begin to see is a highly polarizing um, worldview between Lost, uh, who lost their, their jobs, had families torn apart because of what started uh, blaming that caused
0: the issue. Hmm. It's a really interesting comparison to really kind of line up what people were going through. You know, following the housing crisis and. um The recession in 2008, 2009, and then how, you know, not just in the US, but also across the world, there was just massive ramifications because of that and people adapting. And this idea that, you know, you also have, you know, a lack of representation and a lack of your voice being heard, which I think is also what really echoes this scene. And you think about the only form of government that we truly see in this show. In terms of like before you know anything kind of changes is it's almost like an oligarchy because you have you have these council representatives of you know obviously it looks like of the different nations you seem seemingly have a northern water tribe rep- representative a southern water tribe representative the you know earth kingdom and then the fire nation but at the same time though it's like do we? I mean, if the, if that's really all it boils down to, are just singular representatives? Like, are like, is the everyday person even being heard, or are they just kind of looking at things more on a macro level? Which I think is why they decide to go with Tarlock's plan because they're just looking at things like, okay, there's this crazy guy and he is threatening to, you know, do all this crazy stuff to maybe these people that I represent, like. Okay, we're just going to go for the solution instead of being like, okay, why are so many people rallying to this guy? Why are some of these people who we obviously either represent or should be representing, why do they feel this way? Instead of really tackling the issue,
5: are we talking
4: about the 2016 election? (laughs) (laughs) This is where we can draw a lot of parallels from our world. (laughs) Like that election, there's a lot of history behind why that was that things happened the way they did. That was years of history building up to that point. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when we consider Avatar, you know, if we consider what happened in the original series with the war and with the economic issues that some people faced um, and the general inequality of that to what was largely benders because it wasn't very often we saw non-bending fire nation people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we look at, you know, if we look at our own system because, you know, they have a president and they have um, the council, so sort of like a president in Congress kind of thing, you know, and you look at some of the issues that we sometimes have Especially even early on in our history, like, you know, we don't always discuss the, the bad stuff that happened immediately following the, the uh, designation of the United States of America. But when you form an entirely new government um, with a mixture of different cultures, you know— some things might result that aren't going to be that great. And of course, you know, that's not something we really focus on. We tend to focus on positive things. <laughs> but when we focus on the positive things in our culture, in our history, we kind of erase the oppression and the hardships of other people. And that builds up over time to really big issues within especially oppressed groups. Mm-hmm. And we even that today. hmm Is
0: Avatar teaching us history? Oh! Oh! Well, you you know, I I, I love that you brought that up, too. And we have to think about, like, how Republic City was formed by primarily Aang and Zuko. And you think about it, the Air Nomads, like, (laughs) they didn't really have, like, a government structure. Like, they were nomads. And, you know, what we did see of any kind of leadership was a council of airbenders, the elder monks who were the ones who decided that Aang, you know, needed to be told he was the avatar at a young age. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have Zuko and the Fire Nation, and you have a total, you know, authoritarian, you know, empirical, (laughs) like, monarchy, where, you know, and how, where do you meet in the middle with that? And then, You know, maybe you have Sokka's input. And, you know, even then, you have Sokka, who's from the Southern Water Tribe, where they were literally like just a small village with no real government structure. So you're talking about the people forming, helping create this new city, have probably some of the worst experience in terms of like what a government should be. So it kind of almost comes as no surprise that this government that is in place isn't necessarily the most effective for speaking to you know representation and equality
5: i think even if they had you know education and history about you know good systems of government or anything or i think there's always just kinks oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. i think that's what it comes down to
2: yep
0: So I, I want to I transition into the, the next episode here. The voice in the night. And this one, things if we thought were already pretty gray, suddenly start to get even murkier. Um, in this episode now... Can you
5: say murkier one more time?
0: Murkier.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> and after Cora and Mako are able to save Bolin from... Uh, the this Equalist rally. Um, now we're starting to see how Tarlock's task force kind of responds. We're starting to see how uh, the city is starting to react with the role of the press, with the role of Tarlock and his kind of political manipulation um, and where a lot of these pieces are moving. Um, so I don't know, uh, what what were some of the things that really stood out to you in this episode in particular, Kip?
1: Didn't I say that Tulloch was a bad guy? Well, the the fact that he kept hounding after Korra like that, it just, just, it just reinforces to me that he's kind of the bad guy. It's, like, he's, it's, it's almost like he's trying to bait her into something so that he can, you know, kind of kidnap her and then it it uh, I, I don't know it, it 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 doesn't work yeah it it, it does work but it 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 gives me really a creepy feeling about tarlok mm. Mm. and he has three
0: ponytails <laughs> <laughs> and he has three ponytails. and he
1: smells like an old lady right
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but it is a it's a really good episode i the, the one that really the, the one thing that really stood out to me is the effect that this whole thing has on Korra um, like like I mentioned earlier you know she, she, she's really sheltered she doesn't know how to deal with it and and most of the episode you can just see she is extremely scared she is frightened she doesn't know what to, do, and she doesn't want to deal with it mm. so, you know, you know, like she, she goes back to, to airbending training. Of you know, all things, airbending training. The thing that she hates so much. And she willingly volunteers to go airbending training. I think it really shows how big of an issue this is for her. Hmm. And that's actually really nice.
4: I was just going to say, I my interpretation of her getting into the airbending, I almost feel like... So Amon's threat... In her, in her dream was, you know, after I take away your bending, you will be nothing. And Cora's identity really is very heavily weighed in her avatar identity. And the fact that she doesn't know airbending, that she's not a fully realized avatar, you know, she wants to get that, you know, that check in the box, that credit as like a fully realized avatar. Because, I mean, that that really is who she identifies herself as. So technically she, you know, lost her bending, you know, she would lose who she is. And so I think a lot of that investment is she wants to, like, you know, fully immerse herself in that role. I mean, obviously it is her running in from her fears, but at the same time, I think it really is her also trying to, like... Um, Dig deeper into that that self identity she's given herself that she plays into so hard. Even though she hates airbending, it's like if I'm not a fully realized avatar, I can't solve these problems. So I need to do this so that I can obviously just solve all the world's problems because that's what it means, right?
0: Yeah, and I mean, d- do you think about it too? I mean, from the very first time that we see Korra, she's like three years old, and her first lines are, "I'm the Avatar, and you got to deal with it." <laughs> like that. Do you talk about someone having a an identity and n- basically who they are i mean that i think it's like you know before i, I just think yeah you guys have really hit the nail on the head with this because it's baked in so much to our identity and the fact that her identity is being threatened that's unsettling i i don't believe I don't believe that
1: the threat to her identity is wanting to make her train though. because, I mean... Lo- look at where we lo- Look at where we saw her at three years old. She was ready to kick in doors and start beating people up at three years old because, look at me, I'm the damn Avatar. I'll solve this problem. She so goes into a public city. The first thing she sees is, oh, hold on, I'm the Avatar. I- I- I'll fix this. Hold on, let me fix this. You know, I-, I got this. <laughs> I got this. And then the comes And it's not like, oh, I got this. No, she is not going there with a ten-foot pole. She is staring clear of it. She is not wanting to do any of it. You know, it's the same with Tarlok. You know, she doesn't want to do it. So I I really get the idea. She
0: doesn't want to touch it with a ten-foot pole. She is scared. Hmm. Well, and and you know, I think airbending too is all about this idea of avoiding and how much that was. You know, built into Aang's uh, character with him always wanting to avoid confrontation, avoid kind of things like that. And, you know, now she's diving into that. That's a representation of it. Avoid confrontation or finish the confrontation before
1: it starts is really what airbending is secretly about.
0: Which then she calls him out and, like, wants to do a whole showdown and everything. Right. Yeah.
1: But that that's only, you know, at, at, at the end of the episode, you know, after she's already signed up to be on the task force and after she's being called out by the media and, and, and the city for, oh, are you weak? You know, it, 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 that's where she goes like, oh, oh, people don't. Oh, then that's when she goes into, hold on, I'm the Avatar. Let me go fix this.
0: Hmm. Well, again, it's it's this really interesting part about Korra as a puzzle piece or a chess piece, mm-hmm. especially on Tarlock's board, because, you know, he wants to have Korra in his corner and the whole ball is just orchestrated to end up on that moment where she's confronted by the press.
5: Yeah, the gifts mm-hmm. aren't working. Yeah, the gifts and the bribery isn't working. And now he's trying a different... Tacked with her and he manipulates her so perfectly
0: yeah and just the moment that she's confronted by the press and understanding like what type of an individual she is that she is going to get defensive when called out if she's afraid of things even though she clearly is and can't come to terms with that um the one of the scenes i really want to focus on is uh the raid um Mm-hmm. And I remember when we uh, when I was first watching this, and I think that we talk about things getting murkier, and <laughs> you know that that line of you know what's good and bad kind of gets blurred. Is that again we have to put ourselves in the shoes of these folks who are rallying behind on. because I think that that's what's really important, and I think what so much of this season is about. Because these people are learning chi blocking in this basement and why are they doing that? To defend themselves. Because
1: they're being impressed. Yeah. Or at least they believe they this, this, The, the wall the task force raiding scene, you know, this, this really also shows the point that Almond is trying to make. Benders only know how to solve problems through force and war and fighting. And that's the first thing they do is they go in full force, you know, destroy half the building, let's go. You you don't want to be nice, you don't want to you, you don't want to t- uh, you don't want to be happy with your life. Here, hold on, let's beat you up a bit. This is really the message that Tarek is sending there.
4: Hmm. So wait, are we talking about now or X men <laughs> <laughs> Well in um. and, and- You know, it's, it's one of the interesting things that you're learning about the equalist movement too, because, you know, like we said before, like this isn't being approached very diplomatically, it's both sides trying to beat the crap out of each other to, to beat the other into submission. And on the one hand, the equalists are being hypocrites and doing it. And on the other hand, the benders are just proving why the equalist it's validating the equalist movement, essentially in the eyes of non-benders. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we, can't, we can't see – we don't see all of the economic issues. We don't actually know how equal or unequal the society itself actually is, you know, because it could be something as simple as, you know – Amon might have stirred up things that weren't there. He might have made mountains out of molehills, you know. Mm -hmm. It could have been that, you know, like with uh, uh, Mako getting a job generating electricity. That may have originally been a project that used non-benders to help work and create uh, electricity. But then maybe the city had an initiative. They were like, well, let's just get more, you know, firebenders, you know, lightning and replace that and we'll be more efficient. And it would paint the benders as bad guys taking their jobs kind of thing even though it's helping the city out, um, you know, we, we don't we don't know the full spectrum of people's equality in this series, but it, it's really frustrating watching this happen because you're sitting here like, Cora, what are you doing? You are doing the opposite of what the Avatar should be doing. You're attacking people who feel oppressed and you're validating this movement that you're trying to fight and essentially giving them fuel for the fire. So it's really frustrating to watch because you understand that Cora has been, you know, uh, you know, raised, removed from society. She's very new to this. She doesn't understand it. She's very naive. And at the same time, you can't help but like watch in frustration. Cause you're like, you're being played by both Amon and Tarlok at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stop. Take a step back. Listen to Tenzin. Don't do it.
0: Which is why I think you know Tenzin in the first place was so hesitant about bringing her because understanding that you know she is this very almost volatile, per- volatile personality into a realm where. She can be easily manipulated. I mean, think about how quickly during that ballroom, so the the party, like Tenzin was stolen away because <laughs> Milo, don't use it as <laughs> <laughs> a toilet. Milo's face turns like purple. <laughs> but you yeah. know, it's like you will
3: never understand until you become a parent that that is a legit thing that happen. Home Depot twenty fourteen. I do
5: What's interesting, though, is that the task force is um, it is approved by the council. Like, it is an initiative that Republic City is doing and they're asking for her help. So even though Tenzin is kind of against it, like, it does have the support. It's not just Tarlock. I mean, it is just Tarlock, but it's also not in Coruscant. He's leaning the way on it, but like, it does have this general support. It's like this is the tactic we're taking. Are you going to help us? And of course she is going to help them. Mm -hmm. Even if that tactic is not helping anything.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. And then it it kind of, it, it, it adds this whole question of, you know, you have the avatar who is this incredibly powerful individual and, Getting back to what we talked about in the discussion of Avatar Roku in, the, Fire Lord in uh, the Avatar and the Fire Lord episode, with Sozin saying to Roku, you know, you are such a powerful individual. Imagine the possibilities. Imagine what we can accomplish together. It's that all over again. Because suddenly, Tarlok sees Korra as this incredible weapon of justice and of accomplishing his goals and everything in between and you know Cora being still just a teenager and suddenly having to take on all of that responsibility and having to learn from those experiences of like okay you're going to do this but you have to kind of see the consequences and you're going to have to understand that your choices are your choices. And however you decide to lean with them, there's going to be things that follow. Mm-hmm. So now I want to get into um, the, the end of this episode. Because I also think it's <clears throat> it really is a great representation of the darker tone that Korra takes as a series um and how much there is a focus now on not just power levels and abilities and knowing how to fight well or things like that it's mental health and how important that is in such a rapidly changing society um, and I think it's one of the best things about Korra and you'll notice this kept across the series without spoiling anything I can just tell you that the emotional development that Korra makes mm-hmm. as a character is hands down one of the best parts about the series um,
1: See, that's, that's yeah that's what I was trying to say earlier with her being so scattered it,
0: it really adds to, to the development but go on sorry no and I was going to ask like what what how did you kind of take that scene um, with her challenging Amon and then this very unsettling striking scene of her being just captured and tied up and completely put into submission at Amon's hands?
1: I think that was one of the first scenes where this series really shows that It's not made for little kids. It was a very, very dark scene. The way he brings out that threat to Korra, you know, no, I'm I'm not gonna fight you now, you know, I'm I'm not gonna make you a martyr. It's it's so well thought out on his side on how he's gonna approach this problem. It's such a dark way of solving the problem you know i'm not gonna take you out right now because that's just gonna help your cause i'm just gonna sit here i'm gonna scare everything i can out of you and then I'm, I'm gonna let you go probably do it again i'm gonna show i'm, I'm it basically it's one of those starts of i'm gonna show you how i'm going to destroy your family and then i'll destroy you Hmm. That that's how it came across. It's like This
3: is when we go from getting the bad guy who's like I have to get my honor and bad guy who's like, I'm just gonna get rid of the moon. <laughs> like, he, bad no, not, not even this this, like this, singular this isn't thoughts. this
1: isn't I'm gonna get rid of the moon no,
2: exactly. business. So this no, is,
1: this this is way this more just
2: I mean, exactly. I, I don't
1: know what I, I don't know what audience Colin is trying to attract here with the podcast, <laughs> but this, this is really I'm gonna tie you up, I'm gonna kill your family in front of you, I'm gonna make you watch, and then I'll kill you, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm.
2: This, or just take away your I don't know you know, Yeah.
3: But
1: I've this felt is set of a This <laughs> what you're telling me. This is scary shit, man. This is. Wow,
3: but I agree with him. This is very psychological. Bad yeah. guy. He and, goes then,
1: and then she gets so shaken up that Tenzin steps in, and the first thing she says, "Ang," it's like, yeah. "Wow, <laughs> you yeah, you really right. must be messed up."
2: Yeah,
3: it is. Just one of those things where you're, you mm-hmm. don't know how you feel after I, I remember watching this episode this time around. I was like, that is a lot scarier than I remember it being.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: This is a lot it at night, too. So like, the like, range of
4: different things,
3: But, um, I
4: don't know. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think the bad guys in the original series were ever really scary. Even when we approached the Fire Lord. Like, you never really felt terrified of the Fire Lord.
2: Oh see mm. that,
1: that's the thing though. It, it wasn't. It it, it it in in the last Amber, it was all kind of like, oh look at me, I'm the bad guy. Ooh. <laughs> you know and, and, and you could <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna build my super laser and blow up the moon. <laughs> look at me. I got laser <laughs> head sharks.
3: <laughs> the lives of the, live stuff, all the just saying terrible tragedy.
0: Well, I mean, you think about it, I, I think the, the only the only villain I think from the last series that you could truly say was, I think close to this level in terms of terrifying was Azula. Yes, because Azula was this unsettling figure of like calculating, I, calculating which we also get from Amon. It is this <laughs> idea of he is a he is a man who understands history.
1: Is is it Azula's daughter, maybe?
0: Hmm?
3: I don't
1: (laughs) know. (laughs) It will make sense, because his grandfather's banding would have been taken away, so you know, that he could be interested in that because of that. I love
3: this theory. So, Tom said that the one that was most terrifying last time was Azula. I actually disagree. I think the most terrifying argument we got in Avatar was the blood medicine.
0: Oh, Hama. Mm.
3: Hama, I had nightmares about someone
4: being able to do that. Well, that just makes it all the more sense about Amon. I'm not gonna say it because of Kit, but I mean it It's
0: it's, it's just, it gets very unsettling because it's just like you don't it's this kind of factor of like I don't know what you are capable of, and I don't understand your power. And I think that that's what makes, uh, you know, Amon so terrifying, too, is that you, it's like you see him do this, and then you also, you have that, you have that really scary moment where Korra comes back and tells Tenzin, like, "I, I don't know how he did it. And Tenzin's like, I believe you, but this is really bad. And you talk about someone who, you know, obviously is going to know his history, is going to know knowledge about bending and the spirits and things like Mm -hmm. that. And he doesn't have an answer. And how long it takes for us to find anything out. And it's, I I just, I I think, uh, you know, without kind of diving too closely to spoiler territory, but, you know, it's just, it's very, very fascinating. But I think at the core of it... Amon is this calculating villain who understands that just killing the avatar or taking her bending away outright is not the right move to make in the long term. That just putting that fear into her and neutralizing her and kind of neutering her almost is what's Ugh. I know. I'm sorry. I
5: not
3: like she <laughs> she just said that Don't word. She's a drawn human. human being for sake.
0: <laughs> Well I, I apologize lady. if that was too much. But I just I'm thinking about like what is like, you know, so much again, so much of her identity in her being is being the avatar, being a bender and it's like that fear of that being taken away.
5: Yeah, you weren't wrong in using that word. I just hate that you use that <laughs> word.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so can I? Can I also just give some mad props to the storyline or to how they led up to that scene, though? Mm. So you've got Korra going off on on her little mission to to fight Amon at uh, the Memorial Ang Islands, and then. It, it's almost like they, they, they have a very lighthearted way of dealing with the situation of Amon not showing up, right? You know, you, 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 you see some of the, the funny drawing animations of Carl waiting. So it's, it's, it becomes very clear, actually, you know, Aman is not going to show up. But still, as a, as, a, as a viewer, you have this underlying tension of, watch out, he's going to be there. And the way they led up to that, it's like, oh boy, he's going to be there. He's going to be, he's definitely going to be there. You know, they, they've they got the time passing. They've got her with the funny animation, just kind of, you know, slumping in, dropping to to sit down on the floor, just waiting, being on board. And then as a feeling, you know, he's going to be there. You know, it's going to happen. You know, even though it's like 5 a.m. in the morning, he's going to be there. And then she kind of just nonchalantly walks over like, okay, whatever. I suppose you're you're just scared and, and you, you're you're, you're a see you're not going to show up. And suddenly, bang! She's tied down to the floor. Just like that. Boom. Here we go. Mm. The way they did that is like, oh
0: shit. Stuff just got real. There was. A- Again, it, it, also shows...
3: <laughs> it, it also just
0: shows. It also just shows how kind of unprepared Cora is for all of this. And mm-hmm. how easily you think about, I mean, this happened in the episode three, but I mean, her and Mako are, they're stopped by two chi blockers, two grunts of like the, you know, quote unquote, evil organization. When you think about, you know, an antagonist like that. and
1: They're, they're stopped by the stormtroopers off the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know exactly. It's like, guys, really, come on, this should be like no problem for you. I'm at sorry,
4: comparing stormtroopers who can't hit the side of a barn to the blockers <laughs> well, you know, That's not a really like, fair comparison. I,
1: I They're supposed figure, to be the grunts, though.
3: hit things once in a while. <laughs> are like, oh, look, there's a guy in front of me. I got it, I got it, I got it. Oh, <laughs> I, mean,
1: I mean, come on. Look look, look, look at the last That You had a bunch of 14-year-olds. You, you had a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 16-year-old taking on a whole army of Fine Asian soldiers. I, like, they, they were taking on 100 Fine Asian soldiers with barely any formal training.
4: But, and here, and he to the Avatar state, even accidentally. Korra can't yet.
2: Mm.
1: But even, even, be, even before he started doing the Avatar state, and even without the Avatar state, they were easily fighting 100 Fine Asian soldiers and all that. And now you have Cora and Mako, and they can barely stop two Chi blockers that can't even bend. It it just goes to show. I'm just trying to reinforce a point. Look at how unprepared you are. Look at how good the enemy is.
5: Yes. Yeah,
1: absolutely. The stakes
5: are so much higher, and you feel like they could really lose their bending or lose their lives. Like anything kind of feels like it could happen in this series so far. Mm -hmm. But I think the coolest thing, and to the point we're making earlier about Tylee and May is that after they face them, they learned, okay, Tylee's going to do this. Okay. May's going to throw her knives, you know, and, and Cora and Mako and Bolin and everyone is now learning. The more the Chi blockers and Amon are showing their cards, the more the good guys learn
0: mm-hmm. for
5: the next time
0: mm-hmm. absolutely but you know it's it's basically a question of what happens when the other side is learning just as much and i think that that's where things get really interesting because
1: now you just made it all almost scarier for me right? <laughs> <laughs> Like oh shit, what 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 are they gonna have learned in episode five to fight Koramako and Bolin and everybody else? Oh boy, yeah, I don't think you're ready. <laughs> no, think,
3: no, I'm I not. Also, it, it, again back to the whole point of this being much more adult in the way it is progressing. I mean, they they are pointing out here that they are super reliant upon their bending versus. Amon's she lockers are much more well versed in other tactics and thinking around and outside of the box, I mean, it is scary because once they listen to me, they're like, what am I? I don't know. And I mean, you see that Bruce previous one of the triads a little bit, but like this for I the, um, heroes, they have to rethink themselves in case that, that does, and I think that's a real deeper. That is just, of course, like
2: that. This, this is all you know?
1: Hmm. One thing is for sure though. I, I am going to be watching some penguin sledding episodes after this, because I, I really need some light-hearted <laughs> <cartoons laughs> <to> kind of <laughs> settle A- myself, therapy. and, and <laughs> I need some, some, some happy. Goofy Ang therapy to kind of you know settle my nerves so I can actually. You need sleep somebody properly. to take
4: every scene that has Milo in it and just watch a series of Milo clips. <laughs> <laughs> Milo
1: and so, I mean, this, this is, yeah, th-
0: this this is amazing, guys. It's, wow, this this series is so so awesome. So I want to I want to wrap things up um, and just kind of get final thoughts from everybody um, about these uh, two episodes um, and uh, yeah just overall thoughts and what it was like to revisit.
4: Um, well, I definitely enjoyed it because you know, like we've said, it kind of really like jumps headfirst into the series and it very quickly um, begins to build everything up. You know, regardless of the reasoning, you know. Uh, there are some things that go a little quickly, but for the most part, it, it, the characters are really enjoy- enjoyable. The plot is obviously um, a little bit more serious, a little bit darker, but at the same time kind of appropriate, too, because, you know, uh, the original series kind of helped build us into this world. And now that we have our foundation in the world, we can move forward with, you know, the complications of existing in a world where benders and non-benders um, would struggle because we saw bits and pieces of it in the last series. But, you know, it it hits pretty hard in this first season because in all honesty, it, it makes sense for that to be an issue. And in a world where they're slowly getting away from the monarchies, you know, Republic City is that first real beacon of, you know, getting away from kings and queens and focusing more on what individual people want and need and giving people more of a voice, it makes sense that you would start to see some of that strife come to the surface where it might not have been in the forefront before with the way that societies and governments were structured and, of course, the Hundred Year War. So um, I I really like how elaborate the series gets and how in-depth it gets with real-world issues.
2: Hmm.
1: Hmm. It's, uh, I mean, I've obviously been... 27 28 next month i've i've seen many cartoons um i don't think i can i I don't think i remember a cartoon that is this dark three episodes four episodes in i I don't think i've seen a cartoon that is scary like this it is really kind of scary if, if you look at the big picture so far. The the threats they make against Scar, the the way they lead up to some of the scenes. It's it's scary shit, mm-hmm. and it's it's good. It's amazing. I'm I'm really ready to to watch episode five. I was ready to watch episode five. <laughs> it's just like I I want to binge watch this guys. I I I I need to binge watch this. <laughs> I, I'm not going to, but.
3: Dutch chicken. <laughs> You're gonna binge watch, is what I heard.
1: <laughs> um, what? It's, um,
3: it's... I just to like, I just really want to jump in on Kip's because I had the same feeling going back again. Is that this, this 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 series gets really crazy here, and this is where it starts to grow up. It starts to become much more than what it was previously, but also it evolves to becoming something just way more in terms of a series. But I think also the big thing is that it, it really gives the sense of true fear. Like this idea that essentially, if I lose this key portion of myself, what am I? And, you know, looking back and now seeing it again, I feel like that was cool with time is that she needed to see that if she lost this thing she had this question who she really was as a person, as an individual, so that she could become the Avatar because she's so reliant on, this is what the Avatar is, not this is who I am. Because I think that's one of the things the Avatar always brings to it is the themselves.
5: I'm just really impressed by this show. Oh, sorry, I keep moving away from the microphone. Um, <laughs> I'm very impressed by the show. It's it's raising the stakes. at such an early stage in it, and revisiting just makes me realize how well they did with pacing and development in such a short, efficient amount of time. And it's so much fun to see the characters, where they start out. I mean, that just continues to be a fun thing to revisit and, and see that. And I think they're really what keeps the show compelling, even though it gets dark. The characters are what kind of, or for me, compelled me to keep watching, is that I loved the characters so much, and the world, even as dark as it got, they always kind of had some levity and had some perseverance, and I was so invested in their stories.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I I think, you know, I love returning to the earlier parts of Korra and so much of what I love about Korra as a series is really, really shown in these episodes and that it's things are not as black and white as they might have been in the previous series. The characters are not always what they seem.
5: Would you say things are murkier?
0: yes mercia yeah. <laughs> and that were really were introduced to the consequences of a world that's moving at a much faster pace and how well they integrate the innovation and changes in society into the conflict that's happening and also how the characters grow as individuals and i am just so excited for you to keep watching through this kip and to uh mm-hmm. keep hearing some of your reactions and your theories your theories are amazing i love hearing like the unbiased views of like well this is what i think is gonna happen it's like Ooh, okay <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's really that's just basic i do like hearing your theories because he just can't wait to see how different that opinion is going to be when you see something later and you you're gonna... <laughs> 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 ah,
2: ah,
1: yeah. so of... you, you, you guys you guys are gonna need to do that so keep track of my theories keep track of some of my opinions <laughs> and make sure make sure that you guys ask me again a couple of episodes down to see how things change as the show progresses so I've
3: got
4: highly reproducing <laughs> so Kip now that they've survived the volcano and the fortune teller has given them advice what would you say to the people of Hawaii and their Kilauea issue
1: wait what <laughs> <laughs> so basically lava is a form it's a liquid right water is also a liquid so I I think what the Hawaiians just need to do is just talk to the Dutch government about liquid management. (laughs) So
3: so our views in the podcast are not all represented by the Dutch chicken. (laughs) And people in Hawaii that's going on there is a terrible, truly terrible thing. And uh, Dutch chicken is also amazing.
1: I'm, I'm sorry, I had to go there. I had to bring that up.
0: How to derail a conversation in 0.5 seconds. Plan, plan. We, we are we are going to close things out for today. And I uh, just want to thank everybody again for listening in. Um, again, my name's is Colin. Uh, I was joined today by Kristen, Susan, Abigail, and of course, Kip, our favorite Dutch chicken. Um, all right (laughs) we are we are going to be continuing uh this series i think the way that we're going to be doing it is that um every uh we're going to have this episode and then we'll have two other episodes either focusing on a specific character or an episode or series of episodes from uh avatar the last airbender and then it'll be followed by another episode of the dutch chicken watches legend of korra um (laughs) So again, uh, you can uh, find out more about this. Uh, follow us uh, on social media uh, at Portalcast Pod on Twitter and Legend of Portalcast on Instagram and Facebook, and then email us with any of your questions at legendofortalcast at gmail.com. And uh, thanks again for joining us, everyone, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. But for Thank now, you. let us leave.
2: Blame me, old hot man. <laughs>